0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the system design podcast with Wes and Kevin. It's been a while since we last talked. Um, Honestly, things have been a little bit busy and hectic for me lately with job applications and all that. But I am proud to say that, um, you know, as of February, I landed an opportunity to work at Instacart uh, starting in March. So really excited about that.
1: Yeah, congrats. Thanks. Thanks. And not to turn your life into a podcast episode, but I think that we could uh, take some ideas that Instacart probably has around how their system is built and uh, spend this episode talking about how they might use caching.
0: Yeah. Part of the excitement about working for Instacart is that they're obviously a very large system. So a lot of the key concepts that we've been talking about in previous episodes, as well as this one, are very applicable to the Instacart application as a whole.
1: Cool. Um... So yeah, you know, like I just said, you know, I think we want to talk about caching here. Do you want to give us a general overview of uh, caching?
0: Yeah, so caching is actually a really, you know, interesting concept. I feel like anyone who's sort of worked in computer science has a rough idea of what it is, but it's sometimes difficult to, you know, come up with a definition. So the way that I like to think about it is that, you know, in a lot of common applications, there may be slow and expensive operations, such as, you know, uh, reading from SQL databases, or you know heavy computation that we might want to optimize on for performance. So a cache exists as a temporary storage area to you know save these reads or calculations, and it allows you to basically reuse previously retrieved or computed data. A real world example um, or analogy that I like to make is uh, it's similar to you know when you're cooking at home, right? You might have very limited you know table space. Uh, and a lot of supplies that are stored in your cabinet. so when you're you know getting ready to cook you know your your dinner, you might like you might pull commonly used items like flour closer to yourself, such as on the countertop so that it only takes you know half a second to to get it for your recipe. so of course, you know in this example, your countertop has only a limited amount of space, so you can only place a few items there. and similarly in storage and computer systems, um, you can think of as In the same way where, you know, we have small and fast storage, also known as RAM, as well as, you know, large and slow, uh, disks such as like SSD, right. Um, another example would be, you know, your browser cache, um, for storing HTML or JavaScript that is commonly uh, accessed.
1: Cool. Thanks for that overview of caching, Kevin, um, So, yeah, I guess, you know, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if there's any kind of examples of where we could use caching at at your new job. Um, I know you haven't started yet, so it's probably not like a, you know, it's a little bit of imagination here, but um, do you have any ideas about that?
0: Yeah, so, you know, Instacart being a large, you know, application that serves, you know, millions of users, uh, caching is definitely going to be valuable in many aspects of the system. Um, just as a refresher for people who you know aren't as familiar with instacart, uh, Instacart is a grocery delivery application that serves you know both web and mobile users where users can basically create accounts and order groceries to be delivered uh, to to your door so on the Instacart application there's going to be hundreds of merchants including like Walmarts and Publix who can add items uh, with images and prices that the consumer can order so one you know really concrete example that i can think of is the caching of the image and price data that is displayed on the mobile or web application Uh, you can imagine like as instacart is scaling the number of consumers and merchants that it serves which is especially relevant during the covid pandemic um, making sure that the system is scalable as well as performant is is top of mind you know I, i haven't started at Instacart yet, but you can imagine that the items and prices that each merchant adds to their um, to their repertoire is stored in a SQL database and if you recall from the previous podcast that we've had reading from SQL is generally a slow operation, and scaling SQL data isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do
1: cool uh, that makes sense so it sounds like a potential problem that could happen in this kind of business is that you have um, a rapidly growing Set of customers and users, and um, as that user base is growing, your databases aren't really able to keep up with the increased load. Um, so you you know end up you end up with your databases um, being really kind of like trying to overutilize the disks, and the disks aren't able to keep up with the read speed um, that you're you're looking for.
0: Yeah, exactly, Wes. And just as some concrete numbers, like just last year, Instacart has seen like 500 percent year-over-year growth in, in terms of, like, magnitudes of orders that they've received through their applications.
1: hmm Yeah, it makes sense that, you know, that would present some scaling issues. Um, cool. So I guess if I could just throw out, like, a solution here, um, as per the title of this episode, it sounds like this is a place where caching the data could be helpful. Um, I think you specifically mentioned the price and image data um, as, like, static pieces of data that don't really change for a given... Um, Uh, item. You know, a banana just always costs this much and here's the picture that you always use. Um, So it seems like they could be pretty good uh, candidates for caching. Yeah. Does that seem fair?
0: Agreed there, for sure. All right, so starting back, uh, starting with some, you know, background context, um, one question that, you know, may may be on viewers' mind is what exactly is an in-memory cache and what are, like, some examples of in-memory caches that are used in production systems today? Um, So, In-memory caches, uh, you can think of as a key value store that sits between your application and your data storage layer. So in the Instacart example, you can imagine we have, you know, microservices for pulling order and pulling pricing information, as well as a SQL data storage layer for storing uh, the actual prices. Uh, In between this layer, we can introduce a in-memory cache uh, this in-memory, in-memory cache is data that is going to be held in RAM, so it's typically faster than your typical data access. Um, some examples of in-memory caches that are you know used in production systems today are Memcache and Redis. We'll be attaching some resources to learn more about them uh, in the in the episode description.
1: Awesome, that's a really good overview. I just wanted to ask: you mentioned it's an in-memory cache and being stored in RAM. What was and you said RAM is faster. Why don't we just use RAM for everything if it's faster?
0: Yeah, there's a there's a couple of reasons. Um, the first is actually RAM is just generally more expensive than you know storing on disk. Uh, but more more important than that, data that is stored in RAM is not to be pers- is not meant to be persistent. Um, just because you know if you shut down your uh, server, for example, data that is stored in RAM is going to be is going to be lost. It is meant to be used in conjunction with a persistent data store. Uh, like SQL or NoSQL.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Um why RAM isn't like the go to solution for every uh, piece of data storage. Um, I guess the next question I had is um is there a way to I guess if you have like you're gonna add one server that has this in memory like RAM storage. I imagine that one server will kind of not be enough. Um is there a way to have multiple servers helping with this caching problem?
0: Right. So, so the nice thing about having a distributed in memory cache is that it is independently scalable from your database layer as well as your application layer. Meaning, um, if you wanted to scale out the number of, you know, Redis nodes, uh, it is easily configurable. And this, there's also, you know, load balancing that happens between your caches. And so you can imagine that caching actually offers advantages in terms of scaling up your system. So if you want to serve more reads uh, on top of like a SQL database, adding a Redis caching layer might be the answer.
1: So to play this back, we're basically adding this special kind of like, it's kind of like a database, right? Um, Maybe a little bit less sophisticated um, of a database, kind of almost similar to a NoSQL database, except that it's just all held in memory and not persisted to disk. And we use this to uh, have reads or lookups be faster um, than you could get from like a normal SQL uh, SQL instance? Is that fair?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: Okay, awesome. So, um, do you want to try to tie this back to the Instacart example and see how this solves the problem of a drastically increasing user growth, and specifically, you know, the problem of the database um, being overloaded when people are requesting information about prices and images for items?
0: Sure. So we can imagine that, you know, starting out uh, with very few users, Instacart might start out with a system where there's an application layer serving, you know, price information, as well as like a SQL database layer, right? Um, all reads will then go straight to the SQL database, but this isn't a scalable solution, especially, you know, as you're scaling to millions and millions of users. So if we introduce a caching layer in between the database and the application, we ultimately end up decreasing the load on the disk, RAM is going to be faster to access, and therefore we're returning price information a lot quicker. And we can also additionally horizontally scale the number of caching servers that we have uh, as demand for reads increase.
1: Cool. Um, so I guess, can you talk me through like the specifics of this flow? So let's say, you know, for the first time, I, I create a new like Redis cache or, um, you know, memcached instance, right? So I have this new cache. Um, that can connect to my other apps and databases. But it starts out with no data in it when I spin up the cache. Um, that server just has no data in it. And yeah, like how does it get filled? How does it get utilized Like from a user's request all the way to the response of the data they wanted?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So I think what you're asking about is cache update policies. And there's actually several, but the the most basic policy um, to talk about is lazy loading, also described as um, a cache aside policy. So the general idea is that when a user goes to, you know, make a request to your application, initially your cache starts out empty. Therefore, you know, your cache will miss. What subsequently happens is that, you know, we make a request to the database and then fill the cache with the return value from the database and then return the value to the user. So the idea is that we're filling the cache as we're making requests. And if there is a cache miss, we're, you know, doing this operation where we're essentially doing three operations, right? One to hit the cache and get the miss, one to go to the database, and one to update the cache. Um, so writes are going to be generally a little bit slower, but subsequent reads are going to be faster
1: because the next time someone comes to read, if they, if they have, if they try to read an item that's already in the cache, it just returns the value from the cache and that's it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, there's other caching strategies that are worth just briefly talking about. We're not going to go too much into detail here because you can read, you know, articles upon articles about these strategies, uh, and they fit certain systems Better than others, but the common ones are going to be right through, uh, cache update policies, right behind, as well as refresh ahead. Uh, Wes and I actually found a pretty good article that goes into detail about this, so we'll you know put a link in the description.
1: Okay, awesome. This definitely seems like it provides some real value here, and I can see how it um, kind of mitigates that stress that we had on those original databases. Um, but I guess I'm I'm old enough to know that anytime you bring in a new solution to a thing. That solution brings with it its own new problems, so I, I guess I'm wondering what you know new issues that you're going to have.
0: Yeah, so so that's a, that's a good point. So we alluded to this a little bit earlier, but in general, with caches, since we're dealing with RAM, we have very limited space, so it's not possible to keep every you know price or image item within our cache. Uh, we'll need to figure out how to evict items when. They aren't being used and in general that adds to the complexity and overhead of the system. Uh, Another thing to call out is that in order for the cache to be useful, right, we want to maximize our cache hits relative to our cache misses. Uh, So what this, what what this means in practice is that we want to keep entries that are hot, meaning they're visited very commonly in the cache and evict items that are cold, you know, less, less commonly used um, items.
1: Okay, so like a hot entry might be like a banana, um, but a cold entry might be like a candy cane if it's during summertime.
0: Exactly, that's a that's a really good example.
1: Cool. Um, so yeah, that makes sense as new problems. Um, I, I guess it kind of brings the question of like, all right, how do we how do we solve these new problems?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, Wes. So in order to talk about that, we kind of have to introduce the idea of caching policies. So what those are is policies that describe how you would, you know, load new data as they come in, as well as how you would evict stale data from your cache. The most common caching policy that you hear described is called least recently used. From an implementation perspective, you can think about this as, you know, every entry in your cache, you're keeping track of a timestamp of when that item was last requested, and you're evicting the oldest data uh, according to timestamp whenever your cache hits capacity. A good example of when this is used is our Instacart example, right? We might want to, you know, keep orange pricing data uh, within our cache for as long as, you know, we're making requests to um, get pricing information on oranges. Another caching policy that I often hear about is called least frequently used. Uh, This one's not as common. The idea behind here is that We want to record, you know, how much time each element is used within our cache and evict based on, evict elements that are least frequently used first. Uh, This is very efficient in cases where like the access pattern of the cache objects do not change often. Uh, So like static assets, for example. And the last example that I'll go into of a cache policy is the most recently used policy. Uh, This is the inverse of the least recently used policy. And you might be wondering, like, why or when this would be useful. The idea here, just as a concrete example, is like a media server, right, at home. When you're listening to music from a media server, um, you actually want to evict songs that you've already recently listened to, because those are the ones that are that you're least likely to listen to again in the near future.
1: Cool. Um, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. It seems like it. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting choices there in tradeoffs. Um so there's probably not like, one universal answer.
0: Yeah, so the the I mean the bottom line is that like when you're choosing a caching policy, you just want to maintain your ratio of cache hits to cache misses, meaning a lot of the time you're choosing a policy based on your use case, right? Based on what exactly is it that your application is doing?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess What happens if you choose the wrong policy or you do something else wrong? Is it how bad can it get? How important are these choices?
0: Yeah. Caching policies are really important. If you use the wrong caching policy, um, it'll result in just more cache misses. And in general, cache misses are very expensive operations. If your cache is only serving cache misses, for example, you're better off not having the cache at all because it's going to be quicker just to read from the underlying data source. Another thing to call out is that if your cache is too small, like let's say, for example, your cache has a size of two elements, right? Even if your cache policy is set up correctly, you may actually get a lot of cache misses due to a concept called thrashing, which is where you know you pull in relevant information to your cache, but you evict it before the next time a request comes in, uh, just because the cache is too small to hold um, the relevant information.
1: So, like, an example of that would be, like, a toy example is, like, if your cache is big enough to hold, like, three, you know, grocery items, and then a normal person comes along and they, like, they want to look up five at a time or six at a time, it it kind of just can't even, it fills up the cache, but then it has to replace the cache with the new data before it was even able to reuse the cached data.
0: Exactly. Is that right? Exactly. So, even though, like, oranges are commonly used because your cache is too small, you might end up evicting it anyways.
1: Okay, so, so far we've kind of assumed that the data we're catching, uh, caching, which is images for the like grocery items and prices for the grocery items, are both like static data that, that never change over time. But I can imagine, you know, at some point the prices are going to change and probably the images will change too. And maybe even to make it a little bit more interesting, maybe let's imagine that the images, you know, are changing and it's not really a big deal if you update the images urgently. Like... If I see an old banana picture, that's fine. I can you know sometime in the future just update the image that I'm gonna see as a consumer. but the pricing let's assume that like there's some kind of automated process that is updating the prices based on whatever factors, and you know maybe maybe this automated process runs like every five minutes in the background or however often and let's assume that once the process decides to update a price, it's really important to update that price immediately, right. Um, so what I'm getting at here is imagine, like, we want to make sure, like, when you go to read a price or an image, you don't want to read stale data from the cache, right? So I guess we're looking at the new problem where as data is able to be updated, if you don't update it correctly in both the cache and the, like, backing database, then you could be reading old data, right?
0: Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like, you know, we have two new requirements to the system that we're building out. One is we're updating images Uh, these updates are non-urgent, meaning we're okay if there's eventual consistency between the database store as well as the cache. And there's pricing data where we want to make sure that, you know, the prices that we're returning to the application layer reflects the most up-to-date price uh, stored in the database. Let's let's address, like, the first use case, which is updating images, right? Because this update is going to be non-urgent, I think, you know, something that we can take into account is just adding uh, or having a scheduled eviction policy. So we're still going to be using our least recently used cash policy. However, we can set something known as a time to live to the cash, uh, which is essentially like how frequently you need to evict from the cash, regardless of whether the item was recently used. So if we set this to a reasonable number, like 12 hours, uh, we can be guaranteed that every 12 hours, this item in our cache is going to be updated based on the value in the database. Uh, in general, your cache, like Redis, for example, should be able to enforce this time to live for you.
1: Yeah. Cool. That makes sense. Um, and yeah, that seems like a pretty good solution uh, for the images problem. And like like we mentioned, the prices, we want to get those updates out immediately and we don't want to wait Um, for a time to live, Uh, I guess, I guess you could probably imagine, like, maybe you set your time to live to like 30 seconds, but you're probably just having so many cash misses and re-updating the cash that that's not a great solution anymore. So is there a, a bit like stronger of a way that we can get those urgent updates to the price changes, uh, without kind of wasting that effort on the cash side?
0: Yeah, so the bottom line here is that in order to ensure consistency between the database and the cache, we want to ensure that we're updating the cache and the database at exactly the same time. So previously we talked about you know our cache update policy, and we said we were relying on, um, on cache aside slash lazy loading. A new cache policy called write-through actually solves our use case pretty well. So the idea behind write-through is that whenever you make an update uh, to your database, you first make it uh, to your cache, right? So let's say, for example, Walmart decides to update the price of its oranges. Uh, What would happen is that I would first make that change to the cache, and then synchronously the cache would write-through and make that update to the underlying data store. Does that make sense? So because this is a synchronous operation, we can be ensured that the cache and the persistent database are in sync.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep, that makes sense. Um, Cool. So I I guess, isn't that like getting those updates at the same time actually sounds better than the approach we took for the images, which we might wait up like 12 hours with the time to live behavior? Uh, Is there a reason we don't use this approach for the images as well?
0: Right. So, I mean, the first reason is that we're reducing, you know, unnecessary writes. Um, the the other reason is that whenever we do a write, right, we are actually holding a you know a lock on the database, right? Because the operation is synchronous, and so if we decouple that update for non urgent requests, then we're actually improving performance of writes to the database.
1: Cool. Okay. So I guess you know, kind can, can of take a step back and walk through this system we've kind of thought through now. Um, I guess let's imagine that a user makes a request to, you know, look at the oranges at their grocery store through Instacart. Um, So I guess there's two things that could happen, right? One is that the data does exist in the cache um, for the orange, like, image and pricing data. And if so, the application just returns the data from the cache directly to the user. And the other option was that if the data doesn't exist in the cache currently, that's a cache miss. So our system makes a request to the underlying database that has the source of truth for the image and price data, then it updates the cache, and then it also returns to the user with that new data. Um, so that's how the user gets the data in both of those cases. So, you know, I, I guess the next question is how do we update the prices, right? And given our new behavior, we just talked about updating. Um, if, let's say, you know, a person comes in and wants to update the um, image of an orange, what they would do is they would just take their new image and put it in the main database. And we could just expect that when the image's time to live uh, runs up in the, in the main uh, cache, then it will be evicted automatically. And the next time someone comes to look at an orange image, it'll get updated in the cache. Does that sound right?
0: Yeah, that, that sounds exactly right.
1: Cool. And with the price of the orange, you know, if the algorithm decides to update it, it would update both the database and the cache at the same time. It's um, so synchronous update there to make sure that they're in sync. Uh, cool. Uh, and I guess one other note is that given our LRU policy, least recently used policy, we'll be keeping the most recently used items in cache, right? So, you know, basically when our cache gets filled and someone asks for an item that's not in the cache, the cache will say, okay, what's the oldest item that I currently have uh, in my cache right now? And then it'll remove that to make room for the item you just requested. Anything else to add there?
0: No, I think that summed it up about right. Um, Just to summarize, um, you know, pros and cons of using a cache in general. So in general, we want to use a cache uh, to save network calls to a database. Disk reads are generally slow and expensive. And therefore, you know, we increase performance by adding an in-memory cache layer. We also can scale our in-memory cache independently of our application in our SQL uh, data store. So we're also increasing scalability overall. And we're able to save on computation time as well as, you know, SQL read time of intense intense calculations. All right. Awesome. So I think that just about covers, you know, a quick overview of caching and when or why you would want to use it. Uh, Wes and I will call out that there's a lot of interesting documentation about, you know, production caches uh, that are commonly used like Redis and Memcache. Um, if you're interested in, you know, this topic in particular, I would encourage you to uh, read through that documentation. We'll be linking it in the video description below, or the podcast description below. Keep thinking we're doing a video.
1: Cool. Um, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. That's all we have for this episode. We'll see you guys soon.
0: All right. See y'all soon.